we're going to look at the controversies behind the Bible's book of Revelations and its effects on the religious and social values and the politics over the centuries and even today. Now, normally this would not be a program that I would say is at the top level of priority if it weren't for the constant listening to the statements of political um, pundits and candidates and editorialists who believe that the end of times are here, that there's an apocalyptic vision, that all this was, uh, all this is something that we have been warned about. Is this true? Well, to get to the bottom of this, we have asked arguably one of America's finest minds on this topic, Professor Elaine Pagels. She has earned international acclaim for her scholarship and writing on the early history of Christianity and how texts that did not support the institutionalization of an emerging Christian church were marginalized and condemned, leading to increasing corruption and a lack of religious tolerance. She holds the Harrington Spear Payne Professor of Religion seat at Princeton University, where she's taught since 1982. She's a graduate of Harvard, where she was part of the team working on the deciphering of the famous catch of Gnostic manuscripts discovered at Nag Hammadi in the uh, Egyptian desert. She's published eight books on Gnostic texts and history, several having become bestsellers, and her most is Revelations, Visions, Prophecy, and the Politics in the Books of Revelations. Nice to have you with us today. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I'm going to do just an extended introduction and then keep quiet, and you have unlimited time to address it, all right? Okay, I'll try. Perhaps more than any other text in the New Testament, at least from my perspective, the last book, the book of Revelations, has provided more religiously charged words and ideas to our modern lexicon than any other text. And most everyone has now heard of the Antichrist, the final cosmic battle at Armageddon, the Mark of the Beast, or 666, the return of Jesus descending from heavens, the images of uh, destruction, the suffering, the horror that this book evokes, for some in time. It is a religious text that's been used repeatedly to demonize enemies, depending upon the particular time period, against Rome, against other Christians, by Protestants against Catholics, and Catholics against Protestants, even the South against the North in the Civil War. But in our own time, we have seen it used to demonize Soviet communism by the democratic Christian West, Christian Christianity against Islam, as we um, see Christian sects looking at Armageddon as a great war between Christianity and Islam, and more recently, fundamentalist Christianity using it to demonize secular values, humanistic values, progressive values. Then, of course, it has been a book to mandate the destruction of others, to inspire two righteous believers to join crusades, whether it be in the Middle East or in the Middle Ages or in today's escapades in, the, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was George Bush who said, this is a crusade. And it was Robert, Ronald Reagan who said, going into El Salvador was a crusade and Nicaragua's crusade. And still this list is small. However, for several centuries after Revelations was written, there was a great deal of debate and controversy over its authenticity, and in particular whether it was divinely inspired or just the ravings of an emotionally distraught person. Even from the start, the book's authors were questionable. 
So I'm hoping during our conversation you'll put this controversial book into a larger historical perspective and deconstruct for us many of the unfounded myths that many still hold about Revelations and its author. So I'd like you to begin by telling us, please, who this John of Patmos was and why it is certainly not the John who was the author of the gospel according to John and Jesus' disciple and John who most Christians still believe was Revelation's author, which is not true. And in your explanation, please also address the matter that from the very outset in early Christianity and with the appearance of Paul, there was a considerable bickering and divisions already taking place. The form is yours. Well, thank you, Gary. Um, the book of Revelation is certainly the strangest book in the Bible. And as you say, it's, it's been the most controversial one. It's also a very popular book. And I found writing about it a great challenge, but I decided to do it because we could see people, you know, in the 21st century using this book uh, to, as a prophecy of what's happening today, which is quite amazing because it was written 2,000 years ago. So I decided to try to ask who wrote the book, why did he write it that way, and why do people still read it this way? And so I'll try to be really brief about that so we can continue a conversation. First of all, the author is a Jewish prophet who's also a follower of Jesus. Um, he believed that, that, that Jesus had prophesied the end of time coming soon and that Jesus had prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, which was an unthinkable, horrific um, uh, event of war in the first century, about 30 years after the death of Jesus. And that happened when there was a Jewish revolution against Rome from the years 30, uh, sorry, the years 66 to 70. And when it happened, Jesus' followers thought that even though he predicted it 30 years before, this, this had now come true and that the end of time was coming. And John of Patmos wrote about the coming of the end time in amazing and powerful visions that come straight out of the prophets Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, uh, because John wanted to reassure people that justice would be done in the end and, and, and the empires of the world, even if they dominated in a terrible way, would finally be overcome by God's power. That's one part of it. But the thing is, he wrote in, in the form of visions, which sound like nightmares or uh, dreams. You know, as you said, there are monsters, there's seven-headed beasts, there's the Whore of Babylon, there's the Battle of Armageddon. Essentially, it's a story about a battle between the forces of good and evil. I mean, it's uh, it's almost the same plot you see in something like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. I'm not being facetious because those those uh, stories take their form from this apocalyptic vision of a clash between good and evil, and then a final battle in which hopefully the good wins. But one thing that happens with the book of Revelation, you've mentioned a lot of its very negative effects. When people read it into their own situation, which people have done for 2,000 years, um, what, it, what it suggests is that every conflict is a conflict between uh, good people and evil people. And I think that can be very uh, questionable, particularly when you're dealing with 
conflicts today because if you if you think that you know everyone that we oppose supposing we identify with america and america's wars but if if everyone that we oppose is evil the only thing you can do is annihilate them and that has led to a very bitter kind of conflict um the other books of revelation which we never knew about because they were suppressed have a universal vision of human beings and caring for all human beings in a very different way. Good. I appreciate that overview. Thank you. If we were Christians reading Revelations back in the year 100, around the time the book was written, what would it be telling us about ourselves as Christians then and the Roman political world we lived in then? Well, it would be telling us that we're living in a world that hates and suspects followers of Jesus because it regards them as people who are uh, traitors to Rome because the leader of that group, Roman magistrates, would have said Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on charges that he was claiming to be a king of Israel and therefore, you know, uh, a revolutionary against Rome. They thought he was somebody plotting and inciting Jews to revolt against the empire. That's what he was accused of, you know, being a king or trying to be a king and trying to, you know, get rid of Roman dominion. But it's true that in the, in the decades after the death of Jesus, you know, his closest followers like Peter, uh, Peter was crucified, Paul was beheaded, Jesus' brother James was lynched in Jerusalem. It was very dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. So it would be telling us that even though the empire is persecuting us, arresting us, torturing people, killing followers of Jesus in the brutal kind of way that we see some governments today killing people that they see as opposed to the regime, right? Um, that finally God would come and, and destroy the people doing that and, and create a new world. All right. It, before we look at the genre of books and texts that we consider as revelatory and about future times, tell us a bit about the controversies and the debates regarding Revelation's authenticity and even it being regarded as heretical by many Christians during the early Christian centuries. It was the last of all the books to be included in the final canonized Bible. And if I'm not mistaken, some churches today, such as the Syrian Orthodox Church, still do not include it. A lot of the Orthodox churches, Greek Orthodox and so forth, Ethiopian Orthodox Church and Coptic, do not read it in, in, in worship, and they, they just don't refer to it. Some Christians, as you know, talk about it all the time, and some people never talk about it. It's a very controversial book. Um, it's been controversial partly because people were asking, how do you know the visions are true? How do you know the visions are genuine? And... But I would think that when I was looking at it, I was saying, how did this book get into the Bible? I think because Christians were being persecuted, they saw in John's book even what people like Martin Luther King Jr. saw in the book, which was a hope that in a time of terrible oppression by a government that was brutal, uh, that there would be hope of divine justice. However, when when Christians you know, in, say, later Europe became the minority, uh, the majority, I'm sorry, and had control of military force, which they certainly didn't in John's time, then it becomes a very different story how you use that book. 
Well, look at that today. Look at how we have axis of evil and eradication. And if they don't go along with our nation building, we have a moral duty. Uh, God is on our side to destroy these people without any thought for the suffering of innocence. I don't see there's a whole lot of difference between back then and today. I really don't. Well, That's Gary, why I'm doing this interview. It's when, I, when, when, when George Bush said that, I thought to myself, so what is he saying? He's saying he's the head of the axis of good? Well, actually, he was saying that, right? He was saying there's, a, there's good and evil in the world, and we're on the good side. They're on the bad side. They have to be destroyed. Now, I think there's not much controversy that Saddam Hussein was a vicious and brutal ruler. But that was taken as an excuse to, to invade a country and, and kill hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I, I'm not sure of the number, but an extraordinary number of people, and, and also many of our soldiers as well. So, you know, that is a way this, this book has been used traditionally. And it's relevant to what you said before about the homeless, because... In the New Testament, when Jesus is asked about the final judgment, I think of that scene in, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25 where he talks about separating the sheep from the goats, the, the people who enter God's kingdom from the people who don't. And the only reason he says that they're separated is that some show compassion on the needy. Some, he says, you, you know, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And, of course, the people say, we never saw you like that. And then he says the famous words, but whenever you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And, and he brings all those people who show compassion into the kingdom, while those who re refuse to show compassion are not invited in. That's very different from what you find, actually, in the book of Revelation, in which uh, it's much less definite about who the people are, and it, and it can be used in very many different ways. I don't see the book as negatively, as an entirely negative book by any means. Uh, looking at the multiple uses of it in history, it's a very powerful book, or we wouldn't be talking about it. But I think one has to be careful about how powerful, powerful visions are imposed on our reality. I only have one more question for you because I know you're on a tight schedule and I appreciate the time you've given us. I know that much of your passion and inspiration is found in the many texts, other Gospels and Acts, different books of Revelation that never made it into the Bible and which are more mystical and even more universalist in that they try to find the one God present in all religions. And as you've written around the time John wrote Revelations, there were emerging many other books of Revelation. Most of that were lost until being rediscovered at Nag uh, Hammadi in the uh, middle of the last century. Now, these are books few of us have ever heard of. Yeah. Um, and the secret revelations of John, the revelations of James, and the revelations of uh, from later Jewish prophets, and even among the Greek and Egyptian pagans. Now, compared to many of these other revelatory text, the Bible's books of Revelation seem to be more dualistic, the harsh, harshest, the, the most condemnatory, and even the most violent and brutal. So if someone were to share visions such as what we find in them today with a psychiatrist, it'll result in a diagnosis of psychosis. However, in these other books of Revelations and in the Gnostics text, we find a higher vision 
a higher wisdom that seems more forgiving towards the ignorance humanity lives in. So would you share in your final thought with us, please, a couple of your favorites among them, and then let's say that a book such as uh, The Secret Revelations of John were to have been included in the Bible instead, or one of the other revelationary texts, how do you feel it would have changed the shape and belief of institutionalized Christianity as we know it today? That's a really good question, because the, the, the revelations that were suppressed are not about the end of the world. They're not about the Judgment Day, most of them. They're about uh, a vision of all human beings related to God in more or less ways, and, and a vision that finally all can be brought back into union with one another in God. That's a vision that has not been part of Christian tradition for 1,600 years. It was declared heresy. But it's one that we might need because it does maybe reflect the world we live in, in which we have to be aware of, you know, of our affinity with human beings all over the world in different cultures and different uh, religions. Uh, It's a very different understanding of what it means to be human, and I think it's one that we need to uh, affirm at this point in in, in our history. I thank you very much for your work over the years, including Revelations, Visions, Prophecy, and the Politics in the Book of Revelations. My only final thought on this, and it's subjective, and it's just my own personal opinion, but when I take a look at the entire history of the writings of each of the books in the Old and New Testament, and I realize that there was a political, a human determination, there was infighting, there was power, to see which of these texts would finally represent the canonized version. And then I look at all those that were left out, at least those that I'm aware of were left out. And I looked at I look at these and what they would have allowed. Then I have to ask, why is it that those who profess to know so much about um, Christianity and about religion and those who speak from the pulpits, what would they be saying if these kinder, gentler, more spiritual, more progressive and humanistic verse were also included? It would present them with a, a little bit of a conundrum uh, because it would. We, I don't believe that we would have had the same proclivity towards genocide, towards uh, dehumanizing people that we want to eliminate or take power over. I believe there would have been a completely different outcome in the human experience had those other texts been in there. Well, that may be, Gary. It's a good point. But, you know, you don't even need these other texts to look at the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, when they say, what is the great commandment? He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the message is right there. Uh, It's about relationship with other human beings, particularly, that, that is the absolute priority in the teaching of Jesus. And there are many Christians who understand that and who teach that. But as you say, there are many others who want to say, well, we're the only people who belong to God and everybody else doesn't. And that's a very different kind of Christian teaching. I, have, I agree with that. Thank you very much, Professor Elaine Pecos, for being on today. Thank you. Good to talk with you.